Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan Barbo. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace Church Bellingham. As has already been said, Dax is out of town this week, so I get the pleasure of teaching this morning. Dax has been going through the book of John, and we'll pick up that study again next week. But this week, um, we're going to be going through one of my favorite parables, um, a parable that will probably be familiar to many of you, um, but a parable that I um, think, like m- lots of the parables, we tend to miss the point of what Jesus is trying to say. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, the Good Samaritan, a parable that I believe to be about our desire to call ourselves good um, through our actions, when in reality, is only through Christ, that we are made good or righteous. I've always liked the Good Samaritan story. Growing up was a story I heard many times in Sunday school. But whenever I had heard the Good Samaritan story, it was always a parable about how I could love better. A parable pushing me to be like the Good Samaritan. A parable showing me how to love others around me well. I see the world has taken some of the same approach with the idea of a good Samaritan. A quick Google search, and we can see people being saved by good Samaritans. We can see medical buildings and hospitals being named after the good Samaritan. We can even find a good Samaritan law in all 50 states and in many countries. This idea of a good Samaritan is something that I think most of us can understand going out of our way to help someone, maybe even saving their life. This idea that we should love others well and be a good person to those around us. This idea feeds my flesh, that I can be a good person. I like this parable because I thought I could be the good Samaritan. I wanted to show that I could be good enough for God. But now having studied this parable, I think that I may have missed the point. I may have missed what Jesus was after. I miss that Jesus isn't after us loving like the Good Samaritan, but that he is the Good Samaritan for us. In order to see this, we have to look at why Jesus is telling this story. It doesn't start with Jesus just jumping right into the parable, but it actually starts with a lawyer asking Jesus a question. And so that's where we're going to start today. We're going to open our Bibles and look at Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So we have a lawyer who comes up to Jesus. To ask him a question. Now, this isn't a lawyer like we think about today. 
A lawyer for them was someone who had studied the first five books of the Bible, called the Law, or the Torah. And so this, this lawyer would have been well studied. He would have had a very good idea of how he thought he would inherit eternal life. So is he coming to Jesus to test this idea, to see if his idea matches that of what Jesus is going to say? He wants to make sure that he's on the right path, that his idea is the right one. So he asked Jesus a great question, wanting to know how to inherit eternal life. Jesus, knowing that this man was well studied, knowing that he had studied the law well, asked him, what's the law say? How do you read it? What's the law say about inheriting eternal life? And the lawyer responds with to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, now maybe somewhat surprisingly to us, affirms the man. He says, you're right. If you do this, you will inherit eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but that's somewhat surprising to me. That's not how I would tell someone to inherit eternal life. That's not what I would tell you guys to do so that you can inherit, so that you can go to heaven and inherit eternal life. But this is how Jesus responds. He affirms the man. He says, you're correct. In fact, this is how Jesus also summarizes the law in Matthew. If we look at Matthew uh, chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, a Pharisee asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and all the prophets. So Jesus summarizes the law in the same way as the lawyer. Jesus affirms that the law is good. This is the law of God that God gave to the Israelites after they had come out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea and were at Mount Sinai. This is what God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, this law. And Jesus is saying this law is true. This law is good. This law is important. He's affirming it. And if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, then the law will justify you. This this justified is the idea of being made good or made right. So if you do this, the law will justify you. If we love like the law commands, perfectly loving God and perfectly loving our neighbor, then the law justifies us and makes us righteous or good. It gives us eternal life. This is the contract that God made with his people. If you follow the law, you'll inherit eternal life. And if you don't follow the law, then you won't. Now, in many contracts, there's a section of definitions. They they define things. If you look at our rental contract for this building, you'll see uh, which parking spots are defined as ours. Or you'll see that this back wall here is the end of our space and on the other side is the start of the next space. Um, You look in other contracts and they'll define a word. And so then that word is you, whenever that word's used, you know exactly what it means all the way through the contract so that everyone's on the same page. So everyone knows what's being talked about. So everyone has the same ideas. 
So this becomes our lawyer's next question. He wants to define the terms of this contract. He wants to define this this big love idea. It's a big idea, and he wants to make sure that his ideas are right and that he's not, not missing the point. He wants to know exactly what is meant when Jesus talks about this idea. And so that's what we see in verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The lawyer wants to be sure that he is following the contract to get eternal life. He wants to make sure that he's holding up his end of the bar again, that he's doing what he needs to do to get eternal life and that he doesn't miss um, this great thing of eternal life. So he asks, who is my neighbor? This seems like a broad term. Who exactly is it? There's got to be a limiting factor. There's got to be, that needs to be defined so it can be justified according to the law. The lawyer doesn't seem concerned with the God part. He wants the part that he can define, that he can know exactly who that specific group is. So now, in order to justify himself, to show how good he is, to show that he follows the law and deserves eternal life, he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Typically for the Jews, um, they thought of anyone as part of the Hebrew nation or anyone who was a Jew as their neighbor. So this may have been what was in the lawyer's head when he asked the question, or maybe it was like how we define neighbor, the, the people who live, live next door to us. Whatever was in his head, he thought however Jesus was going to define this neighbor idea was going to justify him, that he loved those people well enough, or at the very least, that he could work to love those people well enough. The lawyer wants to lower the law, to bring it to this thing he can accomplish. He wants to make it something that's accomplishable to him. He wants to take God's high law and bring it down to something he can do. He needs the law to be something he can do so he can keep up his end of the bargain. This is where I go too. I hear, love God. I'm like, yeah, I celebrated Easter last week. I'm so happy that Jesus died for me. I'm I'm so blessed by him. Check, got that one done. Okay, that love my neighbor thing. Well, who's my neighbor? Let's see. Maybe my wife and my kids. I love them, and they live in my house, so they're probably my neighbor. Well, we can count them. And then maybe the people next door to me, they're, they're pretty nice. I like them. They're even here today, and I like them. We can count them and loving my neighbor. Or, you know, and then we go maybe the house next to them, and they just moved here, so... They seem nice enough. I guess we can we can count them as loving my neighbor. But then, you know, we go one more house down, and I, I don't know about those people. Their, their yard's always a mess, and they're always mean to me or glare at me whenever I see them. I don't know if I want to include those people as my neighbor. So as long as, as, long as we define this neighbor idea as, you know, just two houses down, then, it, then it's okay. I need to put some sort of parameters on this neighbor idea. There has to be a limit. If I define it just narrow enough, then I believe I can justify myself according to the law. I can show that I'm good enough to deserve eternal life. Or at the very least, I can show, I can, I can work on loving these people to make sure that I, that I deserve it.
this is now where we get to our parable. This is finally the setup for our parable. It's Jesus defining this term for the lawyer of who is my neighbor. Giving the definition so that the lawyer knows if he will be justified under the law. If he will be made right or good under the law. So now, let's take a look at our parable. Starting in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jericho or from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Excuse me. So this story starts out on the Jericho Road. This road was thought to be a very dangerous road. It was sometimes known as the Way of Blood. There were many robbers on this road, so it would not have been surprising for Jesus to tell a story about a man who had been beat up and left for dead on this road. So now there are three men who pass pass by our man, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. One of the things I find interesting about this parable is the example Jesus gives to the lawyer made might have felt like that those men were justified for not helping this man. They may have been loving their neighbor okay by not helping this man. Because the law also states that if you touch a dead body, you'll be ceremonially unclean. So if they believed this man to be dead and they were on their way to uh, a ceremony where they needed to be ceremonially clean, they wouldn't have wanted to touch that body. They would have needed to avoid it. Otherwise, they would have had to go become clean before going to that ceremony. Or the robbers may have beat up this man and left him for dead and then been hiding so that they could jump and attack the next person coming by. I can come up with reasons that the people may have been justified by um, not helping the man. I think the lawyer might have even thought that those guys were justified in their reasons, that they may have been following the law and their actions. Now we get the Samaritan coming up to our man. And now a Samaritan doesn't mean a good person. A Samaritan is just someone who's from Samaria. And the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't get along. The Samaritans were a group of people that were kind of thought to be half-breeds. After um, the northern kingdom had been taken by the Syrians, some of the Israelites were left, and um, the Syrians and Israelites um, got married. And that was against the law. You weren't supposed to marry people outside of, of the group. And so 
the Jews felt like the Samaritans weren't following God's law, that they weren't doing what they were supposed to. And so over time, they found they started to dislike each other and, and no longer associated with each other. We see a glimpse of this in John chapter 4 when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. Uh, and, and she said, she's surprised that Jesus is talking to him because she says that the Jews don't even associate with the Samaritans. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't, they didn't want to associate them or be, associate with them or be around them. So Jesus using a Samaritan in the story would have been offensive. He uses not what we think of as a neighbor, but would have, would have been closer to an enemy for them. Someone they, they hated and didn't even talk to. This is our first glimpse that Jesus doesn't let the lawyer lower the law. He doesn't let it, let him shrink down who his neighbor is. This is Jesus defining the neighbor term is so incredibly wide. It's Jesus not letting you off the hook with saying, oh, you know, if, if your wife or child was beat up, you, you just go help them and care for them. It's him, instead him going so far the other way to say, if it's your enemy, this person you hate, that's who your neighbor is. Jesus takes this contract term and is like, okay, you want to define neighbor? Well, you're not going to like it. You're not going to like the definition. It's this group over here you won't even associate with. Those are the people that are your neighbor. And then Jesus isn't done. Jesus is like, well, now that we're defining terms, I think you've missed the idea of this, this love thing too. I think you've, you've missed what, how that's defined. So now, then Jesus uses a Samaritan that comes along. And the Samaritan goes above and beyond what we would even say is necessary. He does more than what we would say is required. He bandages the man and cares for him and then takes him to an, to an inn and pays for him and then says he'll pay even more than um, he'll pay any extra costs that may be occurred. The depth of this love is incredible. The Samaritan does everything he can do for this man. This is how Jesus is defining the love and the law. It's so wide that includes those you hate. And then it's so deep that it's this complete self-sacrificial love. It's this complete giving up of yourself, expecting nothing in return. This is what, this is our contract term. This is what the law requires, is this perfect love. So after defining the term and finishing the parable, then Jesus comes back and asks the lawyer what we've already established. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus says, if you want to be justified through the law, this is the love that is expected. It's a love that's so wide that includes your enemies and so deep. It's this complete self-sacrificial love. The law demands that we love perfectly. The law demands this, this perfect love. If we desire to be justified by the law, then this is our path. Love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly. The expectation 
is perfect love. But the problem is, we don't love our neighbor perfectly. And not just love our neighbor perfectly, but love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Some days I might feel like I love God well, but if I'm being honest, I don't always love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's, that's a lot. I'm loving my neighbor. If I can't limit it, if I can't bring it down to a, a small group of people, then I don't, I don't love my neighbor well either. And really, if I'm being honest, even if I can shrink it down to a small group of people, I'm not sure I love those people different, deep enough. If it was my wife beat up, I might love her this way. Or if it was my child or some friends, I might do whatever I could to heal them and care for them. But part of my reasoning for doing that is selfish. I don't want my wife to die because I don't want to lose her. There's this this self-gain, this secondary benefit for me when I'm loving these people. I couldn't imagine my life without my wife or my kids, so I would do anything to save them. But that's, that's for me, not necessarily for her. It's because I want them to stay alive. To me, this becomes the problem. Is we love ourselves a lot. I think most of what I do is for myself. For myself. I do things that are nice for other people, but so often I'm getting a gain out of it. I'm doing something nice for my kids so they don't complain. I'm doing something nice for my wife so she'll love me. I do things because I want the accolades or the rewards or praise given to me. I do something nice and then I want to tell people so that they know I've done this nice thing so that I can receive kudos and um, about my work. I think the reality is we love ourselves a lot and most of what we do is for ourselves. And not all the time. Sometimes I think we do love, um, do acts where we love rightly. We do things that have this complete self-sacrificial love. But the problem is to be justified by the law, to be called right by the law, we have to do this all the time. We see this problem in James chapter 2, starting in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. If we follow the law, we're doing well. But if we fail at just one point, if we mess up in just one area, then we're guilty of the entire law. We know the lawyer didn't love perfectly. We know we don't love perfectly. There's no limit to this perfect love. It's to always love others. And not just people we like, but also our enemy. And to always love them like ourselves. To go above and beyond for all of them. To love them completely self-sacrificially. If I'm really being honest, that that just kind of sounds exhausting to me. I'm not sure I even want to do that. 
I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I have really busy days where I've been helping a lot of people, caring for a bunch of different people. But then at the end of the day, I go home and I don't want to love my wife well or my, my kid well. But I go home and here comes my daughter Madeline and she's just so excited to see me. She comes running up so excited to see her dad coming home. And she wants, she wants to go outside. She wants me to go outside and play with her. To go play on a swing or throw a ball in the backyard or whatever it might be. And so she's like, let's go outside. And I'm like, I just don't want to right now. I want to sit on the couch and turn on the Mariners game and just kind of ignore life for a minute. I don't want to be bothered in that moment. I want to take a break. And so then Madeline asks again, and she, she's like, but Daddy, I want to go outside. I, I just I want to go play. She's been waiting all day for me to come home. But my response is to get upset at her and, and to be like, no, that's not what I want to do right now. Just leave me alone. Even, even my child, who I love so very much, I can't love her completely self-sacrificially. I don't want to love her perfectly all the time. I want my own space to do my own thing. Even if we can shrink down that group of people, if we can make it a small group of people, we don't love them well enough. I can't love like what is required. The reality is we can't love our neighbor with this perfect love. If we can't have this love that's so deep and so wide, then what are we supposed to do? What's our answer? If our answer is to go back and try to be like the Good Samaritan, to just double down and try to love harder, then I think we've missed the point. We've missed what Jesus is after in this parable. I think this is what Jesus is after when he's talking to the lawyer. What he's hoping is that the lawyer would say, I can't love like this, that he can't love his enemy like this, that I don't love rightly. If we think back to the beginning of our text today, I think we see Jesus give the opportunity for this. Jesus says, follow the law. If you love perfectly, then you will live. I think what Jesus wants the lawyer to say is, Jesus, I just can't do that. I can't love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I can't love my neighbor as myself. Jesus, what's my answer? Because I can't do those things. But that's not what the lawyer does. He doubles down. as like, who's my neighbor? I want to be justified by the law. I want to be called right. I can do it. He wants to shrink the law into something he can accomplish. He wants to be justified by the law. And we do too. We want to be called good according to the law. But I think this misses the purpose of the law. I believe the purpose of the law is not to justify us, but to condemn us. Say that we can't be justified on ourselves. We can't accomplish the law. We can't meet the requirements of the contract. We fail every time. The answer can't be lowering the law. The law is the requirement. And most of the time, we don't even meet the standard if we do shrink the law to something we think we can accomplish. But that doesn't mean we throw out the law. That doesn't mean we just completely ignore it. The law is important. It's incredible. It's the law that God gave his people. We see Jesus saying um, in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to do what we could not. He came and loved perfectly. He came and loved his neighbor as himself. Even last week, we just celebrated Easter. We celebrated Jesus' death and resurrection. We see him going to the cross for these people who sinned against him. We see in that Easter story, Peter denying Christ three times. Three times saying he didn't even know Jesus. Yet Jesus goes and dies for him. We see in Luke's account of Jesus' death, Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. These are the people that are killing Jesus. These are the people that are putting him on the cross. But these are the people Jesus is dying for. He's offering them this forgiveness. We see the width of Christ's love is he's offering forgiveness to these people who are his enemies. And then the depth of his love is he's dying for them. That he gave everything up. He gave up being in heaven and came as a baby. And then he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the one who comes and gives us new life. He is the good Samaritan. He is the one who comes and loves perfectly. He came and died in our place. The law brings death and condemns us. But Christ gives us a new way, a new covenant, a new contract. And this new contract is about what Christ has done for us. And for us to just receive this forgiveness from him. Isn't through the law we are justified and receive eternal life? It's through Jesus' death and resurrection that he justifies us. That he declares us righteous. That he makes us righteous. And he gives us eternal life. The only way we get this eternal life isn't through our hard work. Isn't through us trying hard. It isn't through us trying at all. It's through receiving what is outside of us. And receiving this forgiveness we have in Christ. We're going to end today with Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend what all the saints, uh, with all the saints, was the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is my prayer for us today. That we would know the love of Christ for us. That our love doesn't match the requirements. But that Jesus fulfilled the law. And in Christ's perfect love, we receive forgiveness. Through him we are justified and made righteous. And we are given eternal life. That is our hope. This is what we get to rest in this morning. Jesus being our good Samaritan. Let's pray.